It's February in Feversham. The smell of snow on the wind. It's cold. Alice Arden has had enough. She's tired of all the failure and wants to be rid of her husband once and for all. And what better place than at a fair dedicated to the patron saint of romantic love? This is A Killing in Kent, a podcast on the fascinating life and confounding death of Thomas Arden of Feversham. King Henry VIII gave the city of Feversham the right to hold a seven-day St. Valentine's Day fair starting on February 14th. The fairs were initially held partly in town and partly on the grounds of the abbey. After the dissolution of the monasteries, Arden, the new owner, insisted that the fair take place only on the former abbey land and charged the group holding the fair rent and kept all the profits to himself. Mr. Popular, making friends everywhere he went. These fairs were a big deal, with all kinds of vendors coming to town to sell their wares. The streets were full of people, and it was the perfect time to try to stab someone. Hollinshed tells us that the plan was for Mosby to pick a fight with Arden, but when he tried to, Arden wouldn't be provoked. At that point, Mosby had had enough. He was ready to call it off. But Alice fell down on her knees and begged him to go through with it. She tried to assure Mosby that no one would care about Arden's death or even do much to investigate it and try to find out who did it. Eventually, Mosby agreed that they would try again, and they hatched the final plan. While Arden was off doing some business at his neighbor's house, a Mr. Dumpkin, Alice let all her servants have the night off. Well, everyone except the servants who were in on the plot. Then she let Black Will and Shakebag into the house and had them hide in a closet at the end of the parlor. They waited. And eventually, somewhere around six or seven o'clock at night, Arden came home. Mosby greeted him at the door. That wasn't suspicious because Arden knew that Mosby was probably there to see his sister, who was a servant in the Arden house. Arden asked if it was time for dinner, but Mosby said it wasn't ready yet. They had time to go play some tables, an early form of backgammon, in the parlor while they waited. I didn't grow up playing backgammon. The game felt too complicated. I've only played a few times. There's a board with 24 skinny triangles in alternating colors. Each player has 15 checkers and a pair of dice. They roll the dice and try to move all their checkers around the board using open triangles. They can delay their opponent by knocking some of their pieces off the board and starting all over again. If you do know how to play it, you know that the game is a combination of strategy and luck. In some ways, it's no different than trying to devise and get away with a successful murder. Strategy and luck. Another thing about playing tables is the fact that Arden even had the game. Owning leisure items was a status symbol. In a census of Feversham residents in the late 1500s, only 13% of households owned game tables, making it a visual reminder that Arden is well off. Which itself is a reminder of the financial motive 
Alice and Mosby have to kill Arden. Anyway, playing the game is part of Mosby and Alice's plan. As Arden and Mosby sat down and started to play, one of the servants locked the front doors. See, Black Will and Shakebag, who are in the closet, are waiting for Mosby to say the watchword, based on the game. Now may I take you. I'm assuming that Mosby's referring to the being able to knock off one of Arden's pieces from the board. So everyone's holding their breath, waiting for Mosby to roll the dice and make his move. Michael, the servant who promised Alice that he'd help her kill Arden in exchange for permission to marry Mosby's sister, is standing behind Arden with a candle in his hand. The result is he's making a shadow which blocks Arden from seeing Black Will. In the play, Black Will creeps between Michael's legs as they all wait for the watchword. They roll the dice and move the pieces. Roll, move, roll, move. And then, finally, Mosby says it. Now may I take you. Out springs Black Will. He takes a towel and wraps it around Arden's neck, pulling him off his stool and to the ground. Black Will starts to strangle him, but before he can finish the job, Mosby pulls out his 14-pound pressing iron, remember, he's a tailor, and crashes it against Arden's head. Arden gives a huge groan, and everyone thinks he's finally breathed his last. They drag his body to the counting house, the place where Arden would have been doing his business dealings, writing contracts and things like that. But when they go to lay his body out, Arden groans again, and Black Will needs to crush him on the head again to finish the job. He takes the rings from Arden's fingers and all the money from his purse, and Alice gives him the money she promised him. Then he hops on a getaway horse that Green provided, and off he went. There's nothing in Hollandshed about Shakebag being there on Valentine's Day, but in the play... He's right there in the thick of it, backing Black Will up. Alice goes into the counting house and sees Arden. Whether he's totally dead at that point, or just mortally wounded, we don't know. But Hollandshed makes a point of saying that Alice took the knife and stabbed Arden seven or eight more times in the chest. Then she and Mosby and her servants cleaned the parlor, wiped up the blood with a cloth, and put rushes, think straw, down on the floor to mop up the blood. In the play, the servants Michael and Susan are sent to take the bloody cloth and knife and put them down the wells so that no one can find them. No spoilers, but let me just say, if you want something done right, you should do it yourself. As part of their cover story, Alice invited some people over for dinner. She had her daughter play the virginal, think piano with no legs, and there was dancing. But it didn't take long before people asked where Arden was. Alice pretended that she didn't know and that she was really worried about him. She even sent some of her servants to go looking for him. Then secretly, they took Arden's body and put it out in the Abbey land so that people would think some poor person killed him for his money. It didn't take long for the authorities to find the body, and they found something else, too. While the servants were carting Arden's body to dump him beyond the wall to the abbey, it had started snowing, but just a little, and then it stopped. 
which meant that there wasn't any snow to cover up the footsteps that went back and forth from Arden's house. When the authorities looked at the body, they found rushes inside Arden's shoe, which matched those on the floor of Arden's house, which were mopping up the blood. And when the authorities looked next to the well outside the house, they found the knife and rag that were covered in Arden's blood. Like I said, if you want something done right... Alice has no moves left. The body's been found. Everyone who knows she's been carrying on with Mosby understands she has plenty of motive. The bloody rag and knife at the well means the rushes in Arden's shoe and the path in the snow opportunity. The authorities don't really need a confession from Alice to understand what's happened. In our next episode... We'll find out if the authorities discover how many people were in on the conspiracy and what punishment they will exact on the guilty parties. Thank you for listening to A Killing in Kent, The Fascinating Life and Confounding Death of Thomas Arden of Feversham. I'm your host, Diane Rayo Harmon. This show is produced by Jeff Harmon with theme music by Harold Bryce Harmon.